Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders who influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. Judgment. That's a great topic for this morning. Is there ever a time when it's okay to judge somebody? Yeah, assuming you're not the judge on this, on this, you know, sitting up on the seat there. We define what you mean by judging. Oh, yes. Great question, Charity. What is, what is judging? Let's define that together. I think it's safe to say that most people have made past judgment. You know, at some point in our lives, we'll, we'll pass judgment and some are more prone to it than others. Is it okay? Is there ever a time when, when it's okay to judge somebody's behavior? Let's, let's be real specific. I took a self-defense class lately and the guy was telling you, you have to be able to define if this is a good guy having a bad day or just a bad guy because the outcomes for you are very different and that is easy to judge and that's an extreme example but i do think that is important i love that jerry um and i love the fact that you used a different word than i did so do we judge in self-defense are you judging the person or are you using good judgment is there a difference is it the same i don't know the answer i'm just throwing it out for <laughs> conversation when you observe somebody's behaviors for from a viewpoint of you're protecting yourself or you know you know coming up and, and determining uh, your best judgment is that judging the person is that is that processing the behaviors and then making a decision based on that is that still judgment i don't know well i was just reflecting like what an interesting statement to roll around in your head I'm dealing with somebody that has an addiction and am I kind of judging him or in judgment of him or am I looking to project my own self? Really like the word that Charity used earlier, othering, like unlearning the othering. And I think when I hear judgment in this context, I think of we're constantly like, evaluating and assessing what is the alignment with me, my beliefs, my values, my sense of the perfect world. And does this person fit? Are they exhibiting behaviors? Do they look like someone that can fit? And um, I think what's really powerful there is that it comes back to those conditioned beliefs that we have, which are not necessarily truths they are subjective beliefs. And that's where we run into a lot of problems is because we are naturally looking for that alignment that is part of you know how we survived. Um, but now what that does is it really reinforces that sense of you're different, therefore you are the other. I'm stepping back. Mm -hmm. And we can see how harmful that is in, in so many aspects of society today. That's good, Barry. How many, if you, if I can be so bold as to ask you to be so vulnerable, how many 
of you have ever cut somebody off in traffic? Not you, Licky. I know that's because your chauffeur drives better than you. <laughs> Ooh, are you, are you judging me? Oh, no. <laughs> right. And then another question that top on top or on top of that is how did you react or how did you feel when that person cut you off? Did you judge them? Did you make a judgmental statement about them? A judgmental gesture? <laughs> maybe a few choice words. A few choice words, maybe even under your breath. Now, let me ask the next part of that question. Have you ever accidentally cut somebody off? Yep. I almost took a semi off yesterday on the highway. Ooh, I actually, yeah. Yikes. They don't stop very fast. <laughs> Charity, were you going to say something? I was saying, yeah, so badly that I had a guy screaming out the window, like, you can't up and drive. And he was absolutely right. Because what I did was the dumbest thing. I was like, where was I? Like, I was not even paying attention to the road. I was like, oh my God, I am a horrible driver. Yeah. Now, the irony of him doing that is at some point in the future, he will cut somebody off and it will just have been an accident. This is the irony, right? We, it's like, we judge people by our standards, but we judge ourselves by a different standard. I'm a horrible driver. Like I don't, uh, I saw, I like to, uh, zip around in my little sports car. And so I'm sure I am ticking people off. I'm that guy who would be like, there's an opening. And that used to really piss me off when I was younger. I used to like, you can't. And then I realized one day, it's like, wait a minute, I'm that guy. <laughs> I flipped the switch and or the script and, uh, and this might, I might need therapy for this, but I, now I, I get cut off by somebody like that. I'm going, Hey, you go, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kudos to you, man. Kudos to you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? We, we have this, we have our own set of standards by which then we judge the world. There's a, you know, Kevin, that example you use about the cutting off people, there's judgment, but there's also different feelings that come across for you too, at that point. Mm -hmm. And as we have different feelings and we judge driving is an example, perfectionism is, is an example. How come they didn't do it the way I always do it? Is, am I right or wrong? That's judgment. Yeah. We talked about this, uh, some time ago, we won't go too down, far down this this path, but with what you just said, Licky, with the evidence of that sometimes is in simply in the word should. You mm think? -hmm. The misuse of the imperatives. Well, you should have done it this way, or you should have been on time. You should have, because that's how I want it. <laughs> that's my set of standards. Now it's different, of course, if you're having a meeting, a corporate meeting, and that is the standard. But why do we do the things we do? Are we doing it because we judge ourselves against others? How do we dress the way we dress? Yeah. What do we drive? Well, we drive? how do we live where we live? Well, on that note, uh, a few years ago, I used to shave my head off every February, March for cancer mm. for fundraisers. And then, you know, I, I used to ride a motorcycle and by about March, I'd start going my goatee and about May, I'd have a nice goatee that would be down till about here. You know, you got to belong in the Harley so-called vision, right? And for a few years, my business slowed down in the summertime. And I figured, oh, perfect. Slow down summer and I can go ride instead. I didn't need business. 
a friend of mine took me into a meeting one day and he goes, listen, like, yeah, I need some help in this consulting client. So I went in and we sat down and within three minutes, he hits me under the table. He goes, don't bother saying anything. I'm like, okay, well, why'd you bring me then? After the meeting, I asked him what happened. He goes, as soon as they walked in, they judged you. Shaved head, long goatee. There's a gangster guy sitting around. What does he know about technology? Next day, I shaved my beard off and went into a couple of meetings and I got the clients. Now, there's some judgment right there. I totally get that. I mean, Charity, I'm looking at your sleeve. I have a bunch of tattoos too, visible ones. And I have spent my whole career making sure I'm covered up at work because I don't want to be judged. And then I ask myself, why do I give a shit? Right. And things, I think things are evolving. More and more people have tattoos. We're getting more accustomed to seeing it in the workplace. But there are still a lot of people. And I've worked in some really conservative places. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you meet other people that are also covering up. And then you have this bond of living this dual life of the costume you wear at work and the true person you are. And that, that needing to cover up really affected me psychologically at work because I never felt like my full self at work. My son is a uh, goth. And so when he was, he went pretty much full bore at grade 12. He had the black eyeliner and the black nail polish and uh, dyed his hair black. And now he's got dreads down to his butt. And um, he doesn't do the eyeliner anymore and he doesn't do the nail polish anymore, but he's still clearly the way he dresses and he's his long dreads, he's still clearly, um, you know, goth. And uh, when he used to be brought home by girls, the parents would go, <laughs> and then they'd get to know him. And they'd be like, why don't you invite that nice Dan over? Are you still going with Dan? And everybody loves my son because he, he'd give you the shirt off his back. You know, he's a pussycat. And uh, all the parents ended up loving him. But it was that first initial reaction when it's like, mom, meet my boyfriend. <laughs> Judging a book by its cover, like mm -hmm. Kelly said. Exactly. Yeah. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. You charity brought up uh, social norms. Was, was that you that said that earlier? So what does that mean? How do we balance this idea of judgment with social norms? And what does that really mean, social norms? I suppose you have to have some sort of social set of social norms to have civil society. But then how do we balance this idea of being abnormal, <laughs> being a uh, trendsetter maybe? Well, yeah, back when my son turned goth, it was not like there was him and one other girl in the whole school that was goth. They brought it 
to Beaverbrook where he went. And um, to stand out like that, like I, I like to blend in. I don't like to stand out. And um, especially when I was a kid, oh my goodness, you know, just let me be part of the wall and I'll listen and <laughs> I'll listen and learn, but let me be part of the wall. And when I saw that he was able to have the strength and the courage to completely stand out from every, from all of the high school norm, that amazed me. It's like, holy crap, I made you and you have the strength to do that. Strength and courage. So people that, like I view people that stand out as courageous and awesome because I was never, I never felt comfortable to do that. You know, I don't look at them as, ooh, you're weird. I look at them and say, wow, you know, you've got some guts. <laughs> Good for you. Deep subject, everybody's thinking. A long judgment. One of the things that um, rang true in my blind spot was judgment at work. I push myself very hard at work. I'm a top performer wherever I am. And I find myself very judgy on uh, workers that do the minimum just to get by or, you know, don't, I guess, don't perform like me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm very judgy at work. <laughs> and my blind spot said so. And when I read it, I just laughed and I said, oh God, that's correct. But how do you fix something like that? Be aware. I definitely am aware. <laughs> and I still walk by someone's desk and say, get off your phone. You've got six orders there or accounting. Why is there a, why is there a pile this high in the inbox and, you, and you're on your phone? It drives me crazy. <laughs> Is that judgment or is that perfectionism? Oh, that's a good question. I would think perfectionism is often judgment. That's actually a good point because I'll judge myself if I, you know, let something drop or it doesn't usually happen. But it's. Brene Brown in Power of Vulnerability states if you can let go of judgment, OCD, and perfectionism, you'll be a better person. And all three are aligned. Mm -hmm. Funny you mentioned that. I just picked up her book <laughs> right before you said that, because, uh, I have a marker on this particular page and it says, what's trickier is that in most cases, shame is hidden behind the walls of organizations. It's not dormant. It's slowly eating away at innovation, trust, connection, and culture, but it's tougher to spot. Here's what to look for. And the very first thing on this list of. I don't know, 12 or 13 items is perfectionism. Now we can go down a whole nother path on talking about shame, but let's save that one for another time. <laughs> perfectionism, so perfectionism shows itself in so many different ways. You know, I mean, like for me, I dealt with perfectionism of, um, I wouldn't start a project until every single piece of it was lined up and I wouldn't even jump. I would not start until I knew I can get through it into the end. And I learned that that was my form of perfectionism. So now. I just jumped it and I figure it out as I go. And I don't worry about all the pieces being in place anymore, but it would hold things up and it would hold up decision-making and, you know, a number of other things. So it just, perfectionism shows up in a lot of it. 
Mm-hmm. Cindy, that's a good, that's a good uh, conversation starter because when you said you were waiting for everything to be perfect and that to protect yourself from not looking bad. Well, and failing, you know, or, yeah. or being in a situation where I didn't know the answer, you know, where now I'm like, oh yeah, we'll figure it out. Like, I think it drives my staff a little nuts now. I'm like, just, just start. We'll, we'll just get going. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. And they're like, wait, whoa. <laughs> I like it. It's fine. If it's wrong, I'll take the heat for it. We'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So, the, and they know they can trust me. You know, I'm not going to back down on that. I'm not going to push it back on them and say, oh, well, so-and-so. If I tell them if it fails, it's on me. They're confident in that. So I didn't want to, you know, because I saw that happening with other people. I, I see it with my son all the time. I'm like, just get started. Stop figuring it all out. You can't know all the answers because you can't know what's going to happen sometimes. So, yeah. For me, that it, it, was, a, it was a huge barrier for me. And I just... It's nice to not have that any longer, but that was, um, I learned that through, oh my gosh, I don't know what her real name is, but that's, it's the flylady.com and it has to do with cleaning your house is her whole thing. Um, it's how I connected with her, but I learned about my perfectionism through that. So it, yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good lesson learned for me. Yeah. Nice. Analysis by paralysis. Yeah. We've done that before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Because we're afraid of looking bad. We want to make sure it's perfect. Well, interesting too, is that's, uh, one of the areas that like in our leadership programs and, and Gallup polls uh, reinforce this, uh, that people that work in, you know, in the workplace, they want their bosses to be able to say they're, they're wrong or to admit when they're wrong or to, you know, fail and, and not be, not be perfect. And it's that facade of perfectionism that creates a wall between connecting with people, right? Cause we all know the truth. We all know that nobody's perfect, but when we try to be perfect and I'm guilty as charged, cause I've dealt with and sometimes still deal with perfectionism. It's like I had a, in fact, I had a coach, business coach, uh, several years ago, uh, speaking coach, yeah, and helping me with my speaking business. And, uh, we would meet on zoom long before zoom was a thing. And, uh, he finally said to me one day, he's like, you're a perfectionist. He said, your hair is in the same place every single time I see you. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it's gotta look good. <laughs> he goes, no, no. He said, you don't have a hair out of place, dude. You have to stop that. <laughs> Kevin, go like this. Mess it up. I, I know. Do it's, it's, that that took a lot of courage. More, right no, there. more, more than that. More you go. I'm back. <laughs> Okay, video's going off. <laughs> I was going to say, at the, at our conference that you spoke at, your hair was not perfect. <laughs> yeah, I have been working on that ever since he said that. In fact, I went and literally went a year of growing my hair longer and longer and longer so that it would get shaggier and shaggier. And even today, it's longer than it's ever been in my life and it's does its own thing. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we have an image to portray, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's, that image has to be perfect. Because if we mess up that image on public stage, Kevin, you know, our our topic that we talk about doesn't make sense because we don't look good. <laughs> That's right. I'm just going to say my visceral reaction, Kevin, when you messed up your hair, 
it's a little softer and I find you more approachable. Like yeah. perfect, more approachable. So there's a balance. We, that, that you know, awesome. total perfection is a little intimidating. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I had a pastor, how old was I? This is 30 years ago, I'm pretty sure. He told me, he said, you need to learn to be relatable. And I didn't understand what that meant for years because that's the best he could explain it. He was a young pastor himself. And it finally clicked that what relatable meant was I need to be human, imperfect, right? Transparent, authentic. So that's been part of my journey is to learn to get there. Now, and maybe the hair thing is the last thing to go. I'm hoping. I don't know. <laughs> well, relatable, approachable, or, you know, it's, it's incredible how we have this facade, right? Kevin, we talked about the law of facade in our leadership program. We had this guard and facade that we protect ourselves with, that we don't let people in. And in there comes perfectionism, comes judgment. For judgment within, judgment outside as well. We don't want to be judged for the way we look. And once we let that go, we really become approachable. And that's when real relationships start. Mm -hmm. So everybody next week, mess up your hair. Okay, we're going to have bad hair day Thursday. Bad hair day Thursday. <laughs> Just so that Kevin doesn't feel judged. He feels like he belongs. <laughs> yeah, COVID, COVID hair. hair. <laughs> COVID hair. Yes. Yes, Kay. Kelly, that's exactly right. Okay. Mine always looks like uh, I'm an aging rocker from a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend says I have Dr. Bidu hair. On an impromptu, I did a, a presentation for... Um, Colorado Mesa University's graduating class and faculty and said, so there's a lot of students and just came up with this idea at the very end to, uh, to do a 180 degree turn, mess up my hair really crazy. And then turn back around and, uh, and, and portray an image of Dr. Bidu. That's why I called him because I opened the theme was think better, be better, do better. Bidu. I went through this whole skit. It was hilarious, but now that has stuck. So. This is my Dr. Bidu hair when it's all sticking out. <laughs> you know, um, if anybody's seen my website, uh, you'll see some of my older pictures up there where I love dressing up and I've got these plaid shirts on and bow ties on all on stage. I haven't had a new shoot done and I will, uh, it'll be in t-shirts and just exactly the way it is right now. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in a class and, uh, we were asked to work with our cohorts to ask specific questions about yourself. So I asked one question, I said, what's your first impression of me when I walk into a room? And they all snickered. They said, are you sure you want to know? I said, yeah, tell me. They go, well, Licky, you show up as a pompous ass. And I go, what? And they go, yeah, you show up as a pompous ass. I go, tell me a little bit more about that. They go, well, you don't smile and you're all dressed up and you look like you want to own the room. And if they were inside my body, when I walk into a room, it's the total opposite. I've actually, I may feel, you may look, you may think I'm an extrovert. I'm a very much an introvert and uncomfortable when I walk into a networking environment. So when I walk in, I'm just scoping the room to see if I know somebody. So, so I have a friendly face to go to. So I'm just looking and I don't smile. I, I think I had bad teeth. So I stopped smiling a long time ago. And as soon as that, they told me that I do not want to be known as a pompous ass. 
But they did say, until you speak, then you're warm, kind, and gentle. So then I had to make a decision. Do I want to be known as a pompous ass or let me be just be natural and show up as who I am? Now, then COVID hit. So then I had no choice but to get rid of my suits and show up in track pants and t-shirt and it's become a comfortable zone. And now that pompous ass thing went away because I don't do that. I did walk into a networking environment a couple of weeks after that comment and I still dressed up, but I walked in with a big smile and the people that approached me were different than the people, me having to go approach them. So it's really interesting how we get judged just by our behavior, small action, like smiling, small action, like not even, uh, making eye contact. So the question I'd ask for you is, would you even go and ask anybody, how do I show up when I walk into a room? Do you care? It sounds like a scary exercise. It is scary. <laughs> and I've done this with executives and I would say majority of them don't want to know. If you are in leadership at any level from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program. That same presentation for CMU, to your point there, Licky, one of the students, when I suggested that, you know, in the presentation, we were talking about looking in the mirror and, you know, with intellectual honesty, you know, take a real honest look at who you are and, and uh, where you can improve. We all want to be better versions of ourselves, at least that's our hope. And one, one young lady put in the chat and she said, what if you're afraid to look in the mirror? What a profound, scary, sad statement. But what you're asking, Licky, is not as easy as it sounds. And that also comes into self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Our journey of becoming aware of who we are and how we show up. Being comfortable in our own skin is about who we are. It kind of goes back to the statistic we've probably shared with most of you. Um, where uh, 90 to 95% of us think we're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of us actually are. Yeah. That's because we, we live in this facade and we're afraid to look in the mirror. No, we're not judging the other 85% though, by the way. But <laughs> but if you know any of those 85%, just let us send them our way on our leadership program. They'll become more self-aware. Exactly. I just want you all to know that my hair is still bothering me right now. <laughs> and resisting the opportunity to comb it back. <laughs> Although we are finding that the younger generation is becoming a lot more self-aware and a lot less judgment. It's a trend that we're definitely seeing. So, okay. Uh, question. We all have workplaces. Those of you that are leaders of teams, how does judgment play a role in your leadership style and what can you work on? We won't judge you on the answer. Don't worry. I know for me, one of the, the hardest things for me to overcome as a leader is I think like I come up with stuff really, really fast and I want to see people like go there with me, go, go, go. 
and working with people on my team who need more time to process, to kind of come through and, and being open and curious to look at someone and not immediately judge them as too slow, not going to get there, keep moving, move on, give it to somebody else, but to actually look at them and get curious and say, okay, this person has a diamond inside and my best role is to help them tap into it and uncover it. So not worrying about me and my needs and what I'm driving towards, but shifting my focus and really looking at them and finding value in that process of getting to know them and finding the beauty and the diamond inside of them. That has been a huge, huge shift. And again, I don't know if it's part of aging or just different priorities, but it it's kind of like from ego to heart, the shift. Yeah. I like that. But do you find very like, especially as a leader, when there's, there's, you know, a, a lot of volume and things need to get done. Like, how do you stop yourself from getting impatient? You with know, those? you just acknowledge that you are. Uh, that's the thing is like, the big learning for me over the years is you can't muscle through this stuff. You actually have to sit with it and hold the tension of the fact of I'm, I'm impatient. I want it to go faster. Oh, I'm feeling irritable. That's about me. That's not about them. What do I really want here? And I, I keep coming back because Mark Gordon, you know, said something in one of the first BS Thursdays I was in. Do you value the relationship more than you value being right? And like that has been one of the most profound statements of my life. Powerful. I just find while they're thinking 27 more things came in and need to get done. (laughs) Yeah. I have a hard time with that. I'll have to say. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head for me. But it's, I think it's because we still believe we have to do all of those things. And the truth is, you don't. Oh, in my industry, you kind of do. <laughs> no, I, I'll bet you. And I, and I think COVID told us that. We believe you have to do all those things, but very few of them are actually value producing. Yeah. I like to call that the tyranny of the urgent. Everything's urgent. Everything must get done. And that was my, my style too, Sue. Tyranny the urgent. And I had a, uh, a colleague that I worked in the same office with, uh, he's also a consultant and such. And he finally turned to me one day, he goes, he kept, Kevin, you, you work for a madman. So that madman is you. <laughs> always the pressure, the deadlines, the work is always there and will, will never end. And you can only do what you can only do. Uh, but with a scarcity mindset, it will end. <laughs> well, it's, Any it's, minute now. It is a topic. I can't everything right now. There is a topic, you know. <laughs> Living in a scarcity mindset, sheer panic all of the time. Yeah, we had a great, just a great wrap up with uh, one of the cohorts and uh, we've been working with for six months and. And that was one of the 
one of the topics came up with self-care because of that same thing. So it's like there, there's always these high pressure deadlines. There's always these, you know, uh, tasks and projects that have to get done and these looming global deadlines from the uh, higher ups and, and there's, everybody was under massive stress, tension everywhere until they finally came to that realization that it's the tyranny of the urgent. You can only do what you can only do and the work will never end. And so they, uh, they created self-care plans for each, for themselves. And then the goal was to encourage one another to stay on that self-care plan. Take time for yourself. One person was booked on zoom and or live meetings back to back all day. Like the calendar was open and people would just book time. And because everybody's urgent, my stuff has to get done. I need your, I need to steal an hour from you. And so block out an hour, block out two hours. They can't schedule. Nobody gets to own those hours. Those are your hours. You can do what you want. And for part of the self-care is maybe you need to get up and walk around the, the facility or take a walk or shut everything down. You know, uh, when you come back, the work will still be there. But Kevin, if you remember the the leader itself herself was a competitor mm -hmm. and very driven. That's the outside impression that you've got to get everything done. She is the first person to take care of herself, self-care wise, but her perception is we're, we're driving, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. So everybody else read that as we don't have the option of self-care because we have to keep on winning. Mm-hmm. So that style is very key as a leader to understand what's being shown to others. Yeah. Even an un uh, the unspoken, right? It was people yeah. just saw the level of activity and that was the expectation set in their own minds. And yeah, you, you thanks for reminding me because the rest of that story is, yeah, the, it starts to trickle down into the team when you set the example of, you know what, it's okay to chill. It's okay to be to relax. It's okay to take a breath. It's okay to, you know, get some exercise to eat. It's okay to do these things. In fact, it was the, uh, the leader of that group that, uh, flat out said, you know, I've learned, I, I just have to block out my lunch. Otherwise I'm going to be yeah. eating it on the go. So yeah, whatever you do, whatever, yeah, as leaders, you are, people are watching. You don't have to say a word. They're still watching and it's infecting the culture how as to however you personally are acting behaving i really realized that with myself recently talking to someone on my team trying to encourage them to just take a week off like the work will still be there just take it off we'll be fine and him being really resistant to doing it eventually convincing him to take an extra long weekend but then realizing that i'm not taking a week off i'm not doing that myself and that I need to do that to communicate that to my team, that that's okay. Mm. Yeah. It's good, Graham. Lead by example. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. <laughs> there you go, Barry. Great minds think alike. <laughs> there it is. I'm just going to throw my two cents in. Um, as someone who has now been journaling regularly for 10 weeks, taking that half hour in the morning to write three pages, has changed my life and I, I don't ever want to stop now. And I did not want to do this, <laughs> but what it's done for me, um, for processing my thoughts, for being able to 
put my feelings on paper and then step back and kind of challenge my beliefs, figure things out. You don't realize all the stuff that's running around in your head, that conditioning until you see it on paper. And then you're like, oh, I recognize that. That's I got to do that differently. So what would that look like? And then just kind of writing about what it could look like has really helped me have more self-awareness, but also create more of that space between reacting and responding so that I get a choice to start to show up a little differently. I love it. Great. And Barry, you just gave, gave me an idea. Kevin, we need to come up with a break to Thursday journaling app. Every Thursday we have a topic and now everybody for this whole week needs to journal yeah. every time they judge somebody. Here's your prompt for the week. Yeah. There's a prompt for the week. Nice. I'm glad Chris is on board. He can put that into his operations plan for us. There you go. Chris, <laughs> add that to the action items for sometime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> what a great conversation once again. So appreciate all, every one of you. And we uh, look forward to having you until then, uh, make it a great week. Don't judge anybody. Go have fun. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.